You're listening to Point Two Five, written by Rob Moore and Patrick Edwards. Staff announcement. Can Steve and the massive, flirty, disgusting wanker please come to the customer service desk? Your wife, who you didn't tell me about, has just arrived and is wondering why you didn't come home to her last night. I said it was because you were over at mine, as you said you were single and thought I was well fit and would like to come back to mine for Netflix and a chill. Thank you. Just to add a little twist at Sainsbury's. Good morning, sir, and how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. How can I help you? Well, I bought this suit from you about four weeks ago. Right. No, oh, was it three weeks ago? Um, no, it was before I started my new job, but after the funeral. Sir, can, can no, I just... No, it was, it was definitely four. Sir? No, actually, never mind. Call it three and a half. Sir, I'm very sorry, but I'm not, and do not wish to be acquainted with your life story. Oh, sorry. It's perfectly all right. Now, you bought the suit from this store, you say? Correct. And as I say, it's been about three, four weeks, and the, the pockets developed a rather large hole in it. Oh dear. I know, and considering I spent so much money on it as well. I mean, I only keep a very small set of keys and my phone in there, so... Sorry, sorry, sir. You do what? Um, I... what? Uh, y- sorry, I keep my phone and a small set of keys in... You can't be serious! Well, as a matter of fact, I am yet. Oh, goodness, well, what on earth do you expect? What do you mean? I'd call that everyday use. And what century do you believe we are in now? Uh, the 21st? Okay. And then, when exactly do you think these fine tailored suits were originally designed? Uh, before? Precisely. They are very expensive, very nice occasional suits. If you build up a nice collection of them, you can rotate them around, one for every day for six months, and then change. You can't just dilly-dally around in them. Can't we call that dilly-dallying around? These suits should be only worn once or twice a year. If that, of course you're going to get a hole in it. Well, this certainly wasn't mentioned when I bought the thing. Sir, when you enter an establishment such as this, we assume you don't need to be guided around the shop like some blind man. We assume that everyone knows exactly why they're at this particular establishment and what they'll be getting with their money. Well, to assume makes an ass of you and me. Sir, I see you're a little irate, but using poorly constructed pun jokes is not going to get us anywhere. Now, we can send this off for repair, this once for no charge, since you clearly weren't aware of the... Where do you get your suits from, then? Pardon, sir? Where would you recommend I get an everyday suit from? Well, as I mentioned before, ideally, you buy six months' worth. But I can see that you clearly are one of our normal clientele, so I guess you could probably totter off to the nearest chain store and get one from there. That's absolutely insane. Anyway, well, here you go. When will the suit be ready? Tomorrow. It only takes a few minutes of stitching. Good. See you then. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. What was all that about? Oh, God. Just this man comes in here demanding to get his trousers fixed, as if we were some sort of servants. Well, of course, you were a servant of the Blexley household for 30 years, Sebastian. Not the point, Charles. So, what was the cause this time? Tried to keep his hands in his pockets for more than 30 seconds like Sir Barnstable last week? Oh, God, no, Charles. You wouldn't believe it. He kept his phone and keys in there, like some sort of blue collar. Good grief. I'm surprised it lasted three weeks, to be honest. We should put that on our marketing. Oh, that's a good point, Charles. Anyway, any chance you could fetch me my 10am suit? That custom was such an ordeal, I'm going to have to change half an hour earlier than usual. Absolutely.
Today, I want to talk about capitalism. Capitalism is uh, fundamentally about the exploitation of <laughs> asymmetric information. <laughs> uh, it's about people who know something selling that knowledge to someone who uh, wants to know something they currently do not know. <laughs> In other words, the trick is to find somebody who is more ignorant than you are. And on that note, can I begin by thanking you all for paying £100 a head for being here today and for the £100 you paid 12 months ago for essentially the same stuff. No, thank you, thank you. And, uh, inflation's been about 0%, so that's fine. <laughs> Thanks also to those wearing my branded merchandise, which I can see is everyone in this room. Um, and so today, as I said, I'd like to talk to you about the uh, excesses of capitalism. When you come to think about it, the global financial crisis came down to mortgages being lent to people who wanted credit to go on holiday in Marbella in their Nike trainers, but ultimately who could not afford to pay the mortgage back. <laughs> and then we, the taxpayer, had to bail out those banks when they didn't get paid. <laughs> now, I'm not interested in whether these people should have taken a scintilla of time from their busy schedule of X-Factor viewing to think about the economic consequence of their actions. You know what? Maybe I can't afford to pay back something 10 times my deposit. <laughs> I'm not interested that under a progressive tax system, the bailout was financed by those who pay most in tax. Of course they would say that. They have the most to gain from seeing all of our deposits protected to buy more bourgeois consumer shit. <laughs> Today is about addressing an audience of students and Smirnoff ice drinkers who neither have the ambition or the acumen to work. <laughs> you don't see any other type of citizen taking risks at the expense of the taxpayer like that, do you? <laughs> The only time I've seen a smoke in the NHS waiting room was a father weeping over a terminally ill newborn. <laughs> the only time I've seen a hapless OAP in hospital with no savings was one comforting the blameless child with a fatal hereditary disease. <laughs> the only time I've seen a parent queuing up to a local school gate demanding the council finance their child's education for 18 years had been impregnated against their will in a religious community which prohibited abortion. <laughs> the only time I've seen a citizen driving a gas-guzzling car was someone who'd been exiled to the remote mountain region of Islington. <laughs> But the biggest risk, the most reckless risk these idiot bankers have taken is to make decisions in a context whose detrimental consequences can be easily quantified and whose beneficial consequences can be easily forgotten. For they forget the number one rule of capitalism. Don't let anyone else know what you do, because if you don't, it allows people like me to make money out of their mistakes. <laughs>
500 million pound hole in my employer's pension pot. I need capital to pay off all the hard-working employees I've bent over a barrel. Yes, Evans just said that, you moron. Okay, sorry. Sorry, Deborah. Didn't know you could hear him. We hear everything, Philip. Everything. This doesn't really look like something we tend to do here. Oh dear. Well, I was actually hoping that you, Theo, would be uh, more interested in my little proposition. Uh, I'm not Theo Pavitas. I'm Tuka Sullivan, fashion retail investor, you muppet. Theo left a few seasons ago. Oh, I just thought you were him. You just bought bigger glasses. I'm out. Oh no, not the start Philip had in mind. He accidentally mistook multi-millionaire Tuka Sullivan for multi-millionaire Theo Pavitas. Tuka was so insulted, he walked away from making any sort of offer, leaving Philip looking a bit like a huge fat lemon, or more like a melon. Thanks for rubbing it in, Evan. No problem, Philip, you monstrosity. Hi, Philip, I'm Sarah. Now, I like your... Not so fast there, young lassie. You can't just waltz in here with your stupid female money and take over my job. In an unexpected twist, former dragon Duncan Bannatyne has reinstated himself in the den. Nice glasses, Theo. I'm not Fiopafetus. I've had enough of this shit. What's wrong with Theo? The den has descended into chaos. Now Tuka has stormed out. The question still remains, however, will Duncan even make an investment? I'm out. But you haven't even heard my pitch, Duncan. You're deaf. I said I'm out. Of course he doesn't. So with just Deborah Meaden and Peter Jones still left in, will Philip get his desperately needed £500 million investment? So, Philip... As Evan says, as you are desperate and all, I may reconsider. What will I get in return? Well, I can't guarantee any money as such, but you'll get satisfaction knowing you've helped out the entire workforce of that major department store I ruined to live with a pension into their old age. Satisfaction? Helping? People? Who do you think I am? (laughs) I'm Trout. Now fuck off. Yes, me too. Helping people. (laughs) Oh no, what has Philip done? He mentioned the den's forbidden topic of philanthropy. All the dragons are out. Philip hasn't got any investment and good riddance. Wait, come back. I'm a, I'm a heartless bastard like you too. Look, just look at this picture of me throwing the Sky News camera into the sea from my massive yacht. That's nothing and you know it, Philip. Go on, you're in the wrong department. Bye, heartful sissy. BHS, bye, heartful sissy. And on that bombshell and awful pun, it's um, time... Hello, I'm Nick Jenkins. The other dragon? I haven't said I'm out yet. I mean, I'm obviously out, but aren't you going to speak to me? Did, did someone hear something? I certainly didn't. And I hear everything. Even if I am a trout. But... So it's time to leave the dragons and the den for another week. Join us next week for more idiots to present and be laughed off because they just have no idea how life works. I'm Evan Davis. And no, I've no idea who or even what I'm looking at either. Goodbye. Staff announcement. We've just realised this store is actually Asda, not Sainsbury's. So if all staff could please return to the Ladbroke Grove store ASAP, as it's currently being ransacked by school children. Thank you. Just add a little twist. Sainsbury's. And now on Fox, Barrage Anderson's The Making of Modern Britain. Throughout the last 50 years, I've met so many different people. 
In this, the second episode of Making of Modern Britain, I attempt to explain where they've come from and what they're doing here. Episode 2, Immigration. That was Dwayne Chambers in the 2002 European Championships, doping his way to victory. In doing so, he hadn't just cheated, but cheated another Brit out of a lucrative insurance ads and a future job as a TV commentator. The case in point demonstrates how, despite the liberal protestations to the contrary, immigrants, or progeny of immigrants, primigrants, can't even run straight. And that's not an attack on gays. In the first episode of this series, we looked at how the German liberal elites, Marx and Engels, successfully resurrected the aristocrat ambition of softening the hard-working Brits with talk of employment, protection and health and safety. In this episode, we explore the origins of the sinister prodigy, Nye Bevan, whose welfare state would fundamentally alter the makeup of the modern Britain alive today. Imagine the scenario. You're a member of a factory-owning liberal elite. You'd like a glass of Riesling and a goose step across the ballroom floor. But you'd also like results and hard-working Brits won't take any further cuts. Monetary or otherwise, although no one is suggesting you were scared of using heavy machinery. In other words, you, the hypothetical elite, would have to push the hard-working Brit to one side and get a new lot in, who ideally don't know enough English to complain. I am of course talking about none other than Mr. J. Foreigner. By 1945, the German elite had successfully killed off the generation of our chaps. And those that did come back needed to feel in charge again. It wasn't enough to be able to slap their wives and kids in private. Herein lies the malevolence of Nye Bevan's deceit. Toiling day and night, Bevan contrived a scheme that encouraged people from far and wide across the Commonwealth to relocate to Britain. In doing so, he brought cheap labour to our shores, which assured labour seats. Common sense says that working hard outside the UK never quite compares to working hard inside the UK. The immigrants quickly came to realise too that their lives at home, with ostrich but without being ostracised, was like a walk in the park, safari or otherwise. No wonder that Bevan promised free healthcare at the point of use and offering housing to those who required it. It was the same trap all over again. Marx and Spence Engels 2.0 Don't get me wrong, Johnny can be very hardworking. I can't help but think about their plight every time I pick up an EU straightened banana from my local Walmart. What's wrong with being Ben for goodness sake? I am not. Today, people at Black History Month like these ones here, would have you believe that colonialism was a human atrocity. I wouldn't quite go that far, but I agree with the underlying sentiment. These people should have been allowed to stay at home, where they could work hard without having to deal with the bull's egg of complex visa application forms, consular interviews, and sensibly thorough background checks. It would have been more convenient for everyone concerned to have just stayed at home, a lesson we should all perhaps heed today. Next time, we look at the fallout of Brexit. What's going on with this robot? Could somebody please turn it off? All this and more on Baraj Anderson's The Making of Modern Britain. That was that the point two five, written and performed by Rob Morton, Patrick Evans, and Kate Graves. Graves.